Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, Bobby. Here we are. We are at an interview episode with a close friend of ours who we've unfortunately lost touch with, but are re-engaged with now. We were, I would say, three top, pretty good sellers, uh, maybe top sellers at Microsoft, uh, all in different territories, all probably on team calls at times, probably at kickoffs at times together, knew each other pretty well. Then we got connected in a leadership development program. All were on a short list to be managers one day. I think Greg and I managed together first, and then you took over my role when I left, and you guys managed for a number of years together. I've already said his name. Welcome to the show, Mr. Greg McCrab. Yes. What is up, guys? Hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to be a part of this. It's, it's been cool to watch you guys um, put this together and see how successful it's been. And, um, dude, I'm, guys, I'm flattered and humbled to be invited and uh, included. So thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. For those of you, and we'll have several, probably several dozen listeners that used to work with us at Microsoft, Greg, that will know you already. But for those of you Mm -hmm. that, the listeners that don't know you, why don't you give your your background? Yeah, you bet. So, um, hey, everybody, I'm Greg McCrabb. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I've pretty much lived and worked in Ohio my whole life. Um, I currently work for a great company called MicroStrategy. Um, I'm married to my lovely wife, Susan. We got three boys, one in college, two in high school. Um, that's me. Very nice. How old are those kiddos? Yeah. So I have Grant who's, who's down near you guys at Baylor in Texas. Okay. 20. Very nice. That hurts to say that out loud. 20. And um, I have a senior who's contemplating uh, where he's going to school right now, Reed. He's 18, and I have a freshman, uh, Quinn. Okay. So, Greg, why don't we start kind of from the beginning? Um, I know you went to Purdue um, to get your your bachelor's degree. What did you study at Purdue? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I studied biology. My my parents always encouraged us to – do what we love. And at the time I loved animals and I loved science and I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I went to Purdue and studied biology and now I sell tech. (laughs) And now you sell tech. What, what led to that? Like, why, why did you, cause you, you went, I mean, pretty much right into tech, um, after, after college, like what, what was your path? What got you into tech? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So I, um, and needless to say, I didn't become a veterinarian. I wasn't excited about going to school for four more years. I was really ready to, um, to have a paycheck. Um, and so, um, what I did was I worked in the family business for a little while. I, we have a family business where that was founded by my grandfather, uh, run by my father for 45 years. And I always just sort of wanted to get that business experience and be part of the, the family business. Right. And so I did spend 
two years working in a manufacturing environment, learning about uh, steel wire stamping. I was the production controller. I, lo- I learned a lot about what it's like to run a small business. I learned certainly the challenges of a small business owner. And I got to work with my dad and my grandpa, uh, which was pretty cool. But I realized I wasn't excited about steel wire stamping. I wasn't excited about running uh, a three-shift organization (laughs) um, all day and all night. Um, But I learned a ton. And in particular, I learned how to work really hard um, for both my dad and my grandfather. Um, So I went back to school and I uh, wanted to get my MBA. And this was in Dayton, Ohio. And I I went back to school part-time. And um, I was working on my MBA at the University of Dayton. And um, I actually left the family business to focus on that, but I did still kind of need a part-time job. And I applied for an internship at NCR Corporation. And at NCR, they had this business unit called Teradata. And I got to work part-time in what was called Teradata Marketing and Teradata Marketing was run by this guy named Mark Hurd. Um, oh, wow. Not to be a name dropper, but yeah. that, it, it's, it's relevant in that I started to get excited about technology at NCR. Um, I got exposed to something called data warehousing, which at the time was um, something that was interesting and cool. And I got to work under, at least on the periphery, under a great, uh, great leader and got sort of inspired by his, his imprint on, on the business. Very interesting. Um, But the thing that, yeah, yeah. The thing that um, is relevant to the three of us is I, um, I had the opportunity to work at NTR full time after I got my MBA and I worked there for four years and I was an alliance manager. One of my responsibilities was the Microsoft partnership. So this was in the nineties. You know, NCR was sending me out to Redmond and the crazy thing that inspired me about those trips is these people, they, they're so fired up about their jobs. They're wearing jeans to work, which you never saw in Dayton, Ohio. And they had free soda in the vending machine. <laughs> and I was just blown away by that. And the other thing that was cool is they were launching this thing uh, called Internet Explorer. And the Internet was coming of age. And that was really cool. And uh, so that's, I think, what ultimately got me inspired about tech. And in particular, ever since I had that job being the alliance manager for Microsoft, you know, I made it my mission to work for Microsoft. That's awesome, and don't feel don't feel bad about name dropping because now we might just tag Mister <laughs> Hurd uh, in this post because yeah, she mentioned his name, so, <laughs> so that like the LinkedIn will go nuts and and we'll get millions of listeners. But you know, the show is about. He all... just made a he just made a huge donation to Baylor, by the way. Oh, did awesome. he really? And, That's uh, great. Yeah, yeah. So I sent him a thank you note and, and very cool story. He actually replied. Very cool. Well, we I, yeah, I have a few of awesome. those men in my career that helped me that have gone on to take on big, big jobs. And 
that's cool that he's an early tech connection for you. The show is about you know early on tech sellers and and really just improving any tech seller's career career path. Obviously, that makes yours fairly unique. We have all led sales teams, and Brian does today. You do today. I do in some form at, at my flight school and, and other jobs. But I guess what would you characterize? How would you characterize the average account rep or manager? Like, what, what what frustrates you the most about your career and the reps that worked for you? That we we call average on the show quite a bit, but maybe the fundamental wrongs that account managers are doing uh, as they approach their job, Greg. Yeah, yeah, I um, you know, you mentioned frustration. I think one thing that can can frustrate me on occasion is I, I think they're there are a lot of talented sellers out there and um, yeah, the head knowledge actually exists. I, I think um, so many sellers actually know what to do. It's just, a, it's a, it's a matter of stringing together habits consistently and doing great habits consistently. And uh, I know, and I know one of your prior um, participants on the podcast, Jennifer, she, she used to ingrain in us uh, selling basics and some other sales leaders that I work for just have just really harped on the basics. And I think, you know, so much as sales is sticking to the basics, but being rigorous and disciplined in the ba- basics, I think when I think about my own sales career, I, I was definitely more of a science seller and I think effective as a student of science and an analytically, analytically minded person and someone who's, very disciplined. The results I was able to get or the the results I've come to appreciate are from people that have great behaviors and, and maybe they, they aren't crazily, crazily innovative or um, particularly artful. They're just very gritty and disciplined and rigorous in the behaviors that we all know as sellers work. Um, I definitely appreciate those that you know, um, are, are particularly good at the nuance and the art and the politics. Um, and I definitely respect that, but, um, I, I guess the results I've seen have come from the rigor and, and the behavior. Yeah. I think that's, that's a characteristic the three of us share. Um, it, <laughs> it's certainly it, the approach I've taken is, is, is probably less of the, um, less of the politically savvy approach, more of just the um, uh, consistency and engagement style. But Greg, like in when you were an account manager um, back in the day, what what do you think, what specific characteristics were you strong at? Or or did you look at it that way? Uh, and if you did, like what what things really stood out to you about your style? And then as you began managing people, what characteristics really stood out um, that led someone to be a better account manager than, than not? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've just always appreciated preparation. So, you know, those account managers that do all of those things very, very well. So pre-call planning, right? Sometimes we feel like we can wing it. We'll just go in. We all know what we're going to talk about and uh, we're just going to go in there and you know, emphasize what we need to emphasize, but actually taking the time to do some pre-call planning, to schedule 
the WebEx or the Skype with the internal team to talk through the customer pain and challenges, talk about the use cases, to get centered on their KPIs and their business and what's driving their business, to you know, craft down an agenda, to talk about the goals for the call, to document the goals for the call, to send over an agenda ahead of time, to get the customer buy-in on the agenda and the goals, to actually deliver a great meeting focused on the customer goals, to capture all the notes in the follow-up, to actually document back the follow-up, actually do the follow-up. You know, I think it's, it's all those things. So, uh, you know, preparation in my mind is, and being very disciplined in the follow-up, particularly the customer's priorities, um, I think really begets success. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned politics and, um, you know, I've always admired people that are skilled in, in sort of understanding politics, being able to navigate politics. And I've always tried to learn from, from folks who understand politics, because I think, you know, having the ability to sort of disassociate some, from something that's politically charged to take a 20,000 foot view and to kind of look down on all the players and understand um, how they inter interact and then come coming back down into the situation with a sort of a neutral point of view and being able to make a chess move. Um, I've, I've never been particularly skilled at, but I've always appreciated and tried to learn from, from people who are skilled at that. What do you guys think? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we, we, we came and planned for many months before we did our first podcast and we kept getting pulled back into meeting preparation was going to be our first series because it is the fundamental component of sales. And it wasn't just about the meeting prep, but the execution of the meeting, the team prep, the follow up, the how to keep the customer on track. Once you do follow up everything you said, you just recapped our first thing series because it is at the heart of what makes a good seller. And today I, when I was selling, I saw so many of those fundamentals being broken or kind of hoped for. And that's where customers mm -hmm. seem to be getting frustrated mm -hmm. today is that, you know, we believe uh, on the show and we talk about it quite a bit that the account managers that are relationship focused, buying lunches, maybe having a non-valuable recurring meeting or dropping off a bottle of scotch or cookies or whatever that might be is, is of the old. Um, it doesn't work mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And that executives have higher expectations that we as sellers bring value and they can f watch a video online now. And they used to have to call in sales teams for that. Right. And yeah, it, you have yeah. to have the experience and the real examples and, and provide outcomes to these customers. Now that we talk about the challenger sale approach a lot, but that's what it is. Um, and I don't know if all of our listeners still believe us, but it, we think the relationship component is falling away a lot more and seeing a shift towards this challenger sale. I guess in your mind, do you see it that way or is that just marketing speak and we're blowing it out of proportion? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I'm reflecting on this thing we're doing now, um, where we're <clears throat> each week we're, we're doing a particular business problem and we're, we're having a really an informal webcast discussion about 
that business problem and how analytics is solving the problem. And just the other day, we did one on call centers, and we were talking about how the costs associated with call center are significant and they're a function of average handling time. And um, we were talking about, you know, KPIs associated with average handling time, meaning when, when you or I call into a call center, um, it can be a great experience or it can be a pretty crappy experience. And usually it's crappy if we're on hold for a long time or the agent's is taking too long to resolve our problem or they have to elevate our problem. Um, but it it's much more compelling. These webcasts have been more compelling and they've been well attended because our team has been centered on the business problem and mm. solving the problem. In this case, it was interesting because we're helping, you know, customers think through how to drive down their, in a call center environment, drive down average handling time, which increases productivity, which drives drive out drives out costs. So, yeah, Bobby, I, yeah, I, I think there's a play for relationship sell as well. I think we all have to be great relationship sellers. We're always building trust or eroding trust in every interaction. So I, I think relationship matters. But being to your point, being compelling, have, having outcomes that align to a particular individual or business's priorities are, are, are paramount. So Greg, just you've, again, you've managed people, you've been an account manager. Do you have any stories of people you've managed of what great looks like? If you're, if we're trying to paint a picture of what a great account executive looks like, how would you, what, what examples do you have or how would you paint that picture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a couple thoughts, you know, one, one being, I think the three of us were brought up in a school of um, conditions of satisfaction, right? And that, that was a, uh, that was a bit of an internal term that, that we use, but I think always orienting on the customer and being incredibly precise about what their priorities are, what their convictions are, what they value, what, how, um, how they're measured and what business performance means to them, what, how they measure change, how they move the needle to the extent a seller is really, really dialed in on the customer priorities and um, really makes it their mission in life to drive to those priorities. I think that's, that's taking a long view of the customer and that's building um Building, building relevance over the yeah. long haul with the customer. And if you're doing that, then you're always going to have an opportunity to position solutions and sell. And, um, you know, the best sellers I've seen, they do that. They focus on the priority, the customer priorities, and they, they're relentless about resolving the customer's priorities. And, and what I found um, most recently working for a hardware company is – uh, both public and private for a while at EMC and then Dell, you know, the quarterly cycle gets people to turn away from that. Any, any recommendations to our listeners on how a quarterly focused sales cycled business can do oh, what man. you just asked them you got to do? Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need to, I need some advice on that. Um, I mean, it's tough, but I think, I think it is. And I, I describe it as the long game. We've all, 
been athletes and are doing athletic things in our lives, right? So it's the, it, it's the story about not being a sprint. It, it really is a marathon. Whether you service that customer for six months or six years or longer, you, you probably will cross paths in IT again. Um, and you, you got to think long game. You can't do stupid stuff every quarter or it's just going to erode everything you got. Yeah, I do think, though, I, I do think there is the – we've got a series upcoming on this, uh, Greg, on kind of an engagement plan or an evaluation plan with uh, whether you're uh, an account executive that focuses on winning new logos or you're managing an existing client base um, of just a good, effective way to manage the process, the sales cycle, whether it's a big deal, medium-sized deal, small deal. And I think it aligns to exactly what you're talking about, Greg. You have – you're engaged with these clients. They've got a list of priorities. Those priorities drive business performance. And to stay relevant as an account executive, you have to have alignment to that. And that engagement plan ideally speaks to those things. And if you can communicate that engagement plan to them and, and that becomes kind of your working agenda, you'll always be mm-hmm. in a candid mm-hmm. place with them, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's good. No, I agree. Taking the long view, absolutely, and I think it pays off over time. I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of unnatural acts. So, Greg, many people listening uh, don't know you, I assume, and we've known each other for a long time. Recently, we've reconnected, and you had something big change in your life. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit of the change that's happened in your life over the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for asking. So, um, yeah, I, uh, two years ago, I guess it'll be two years here, March 30th. Um, I was out, uh, with the family on spring break, um, skiing, snow skiing, and I always been pretty healthy guy, active guy, actually skied my entire life since I was four years old. So, you know, I could ski the double blacks and, um, could ski the trees and, go out of bounds and all of that. And it was, it was a fun family thing that, uh, we used to do, um, you know, f- for whatever reason on this particular day, I was, um, you know, I was skiing a blue slope. Um, I went off on this, it was with the whole family. I went off in this little side jaunt on my own. And I was actually just having a blast taking in some air. Uh, sunny day, absolutely gorgeous day. And I, uh, somehow I lost my left ski and I flipped, flipped upside down. I crashed on my back and uh, I slid to a halt under a pine tree. And um, the next thing I, I, I kind of thought I was okay, but then I realized I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't move my legs. And uh, I ended up, you know, being care flatted to Grand Junction, Colorado, having surgery turns out I'd broken my neck. I had a contusion on my liver and I'd broken my back and, you know, the dreaded saying that you, you never want to hear was, um, you know, Greg, you're paralyzed for life. Um, and so that was, uh, that's, that was a tragic day. And, you know, since that day, it's all a bit, it's been about, uh, recovery, just sort of recovering from that, you know, learning to, get dressed again, learning to drive again. I actually had to take my driver's test again, learning how to, you know, get back to work, get on a plane again, use Uber, get in and out of uh, situations 
with a wheelchair. Um, so it's been quite a journey and, you know, I've certainly learned a lot about, um, handling adversity. I've definitely learned a lot about, you know, the compassion of others. So many people have been so kind and so helpful to me. And, uh, so it's been, it's been interesting. And so Greg, how, how long were you like, uh, away from work and in the hospital, what was the recovery process for you? Like from, from a professional standpoint, did you, I guess you took a step back away from work for a little while. So, yeah, I did. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I was in the hospital for about a month. Um, and then I did physical therapy for, um, nearly a year where, you know, you're learning to just, uh, you know, sit up, get dressed, um, get, do strength training, work on your core, um, you know, just being mobile, getting in and out of a car. And, you know, I was after, I don't know, after eight weeks, I was pretty mobile. I was driving again and I was back at work and, you know, my employer, they've been absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, over time, I've just gotten more and more competent and, uh, to the point where I'm, you know, I'm completely independent. You know, last week I was in Chicago, the week before I was in Toronto and Minneapolis. So, you know, I'm, I'm fully functional, fully, fully capable, but yeah, it's, it's taken some time physically and mentally just to, you know, stay after it and, and be driven and, um, you know, be back at it. And, and well. you've always, yeah. And you've always been very active. I, I remember one of our first conversations being around your, uh, the triathlon you did, uh, was it escape from Alcatraz? Is that what they still call it today? To where you swim from Alcatraz yes. inlands and then, uh, yes. And that's, yeah. yes. Thank you, Brian. And that's one thing that's keeping me going. You know, I, I think, you know, we all are goal oriented people and I think sellers tend to be goal oriented. And that's one thing that's really been keeping me going is I've, you know, over a year ago, I put this goal on the horizon of, you know, I want to, I want to swim from Alcatraz again. So two years ago, I'm sorry. So uh, not two years ago, a while ago, and I guess 2008 as an able-bodied person, a buddy and I, we, we did this triathlon called the escape from Alcatraz triathlon. It's where you swim a mile and a half from San Francisco, from Alcatraz back to San Francisco. Then you bike 18 miles and then, um, you run like eight miles. And it, it was at a time in my life when I was in really good shape. And I really felt I was kind of on top of my game, right? So, you know, I wanted to put this goal out there of swimming from Alcatraz as a disabled person, as a paraplegic, because I just felt like, you know, if I could do that, then I could live with this disability. And so um, it's not far off March 30th, which is the second anniversary of the skiing accident. I'll be, I'll be making that swim wow. with my good friend, Mark. And, uh, yeah, excited to do that. But I just share that to say, you know, I, I think goals in life, goals in sales, critically important to sort of staying motivated and having something to go after. Well, I got to say, I've had a few goosebumps as you've talked through that. Uh, I don't think people realize how bad a day can be until they have that kind of a, a bad day, right? I mean, we, we, we answer questions on, I lost the deal, it's the end of the world, and Obviously, we know it's not the end of the world, and, right. and even those people know it's not right. the end of the world. I, I commend you for 
continuing to grow and stick with it. I, 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 well, I've done some sprints. I don't think I could swim a mile and a half, definitely on that cold water. And I think everyone oh. wears a wetsuit, so it's not truly a representation yeah. of escaping Alcatraz in like a, <laughs> in a in a jail jumpsuit with no no, no, no wetsuit. No, no, that's why <laughs> you yeah, would that's freeze. Why no one survived? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were just there. Yeah, you're, uh, stuck in a, you're stuck in a cell. You're stuck in a cell your whole whole life on Alcatraz Island, and then you don't get to swim with a wetsuit. It's not like you've been uh, training for. <laughs> They don't have a lap pool. Right? At Al- they don't have a lap pool at Alcatraz it's, to help. Exactly, you that's, that's my point, Bobby. Sure. No lap, Bobby. No lap pool. Yeah. So, I guess Greg, it's it's unique that uh, we have somebody on the show that's had this kind of thing happen to them. What? I guess how do you reflect, or what do you reflect uh, when bad things happen now at work? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't have it's not it's not a, it can't be near the the perseverance that it is for you in daily life uh describe just if you could describe what a bad day at work is now it can't be that bad yeah 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 well right i think it's it's all it's putting it in context right and really getting centered on on what matters so maybe one or two things i could share you know um you know i think it's, you know, I guess two things. One, just responding to adversity. We all experience adversity. And I think the, the thing that allowed me to respond to adversity is there was a lot of compassion from a lot of people who helped me, right, when I couldn't help myself. And that was really the beginning for my turnaround. And so I think, you know, anytime I can extend some compassion or some grace to somebody who, who just needs a little, and I want to do that. And so um, I think that's important in business and it's relevant in, in business. I I probably grew up in the school of maybe not extending so much grace or compassion to people and maybe being more of a hard line. And, you know, that was eye opening for me because, um, you know, so many people were helpful to me and, and allowed me to get my act together and, and get back after it. Um. You know, the other thing is, I think it's really important to be centered on why, you know, why, why are you doing this? Why, why are you in sales? Why, you know, why are you going to work every day? And, you know, it's different for, for different people. And, um, you know, I, it became incredibly clear that, you know, my wife and my three boys are what's driving me. They're, they're the reason I wanted to respond to this adversity. Um, and if you're, if you're centered on why, there isn't anything you won't do to determine your outcomes, to um, accomplish your goals. And, um, you know, it, it was a painful exercise. A hurt, it was a hurtful exercise, but there's no lack of clarity on, on my why. Or, or There's no lack of clarity on how I want to respond um, because I know that's going to determine the particular outcome. And the last thing that, um, you know, maybe I'll share is, you know, it's been eye-opening almost, it's, it's been a little ironic, right, um, to be someone who was a seller, sales leader, hard-charging, um, certainly schooled and um, intellectually smart about unconscious bias. Um, but to be on the receiving end, you know, nothing specific, but, you know, it, it happens if you're in an airport, if you're in a restaurant, if you're in a hotel, you know, on occasion when you're sitting in a wheelchair, you know, you can feel like you're on the periphery. You can feel like you're, you're marginalized. And, 
you know, in, in sort of my pre accident world, I, I was intelligent about in con- unconscious bias. I, I don't know how active I was about yeah, trying to improve in that regard. So you know, I would just very respectfully share as someone who's been educated and, and experienced in this, it happens. And, you know, if you're around a disabled person, maybe just take a deep breath, take a moment and square up to them, look them in the eye, shake their hand, maybe give them a hug and uh, engage in a conversation. And um, I think it, I think uh, they will definitely be better for it. And, and you probably will be too. Wow. That's great advice. Yeah. I was going to ask you just, just how stupid do we all act when we don't realize it? Um, that's a good call out and, and you know, their family comments. Yeah. I, yeah. Are extremely touching because, yeah, my my wife had her her brush, and we've all had some adversity, but unfortunately, you're the winner on it in this group of three. Um, and it it is it does make you refocus. I've told the story a bunch, and I don't know that I've ever told it on the podcast, but I really did claim that all the the things I was trying to earn and make as a tech seller were for my family, but. When that happened, it truly made me realize it was just me for my own ego, and it was so uncentered mm-hmm. that it's been mm-hmm. so refreshing to be centered on the real why now for family that it's changed uh, everything I do from a work perspective. So thanks That's for those cool. thoughts, and uh, thanks for those uh, heartfelt messages. I think, Brian, are you ready yeah. for rapid-fire questions? Well, if I, if I could ask one rapid question. Rapid-fire. <laughs> if if before we jump to rapid-fire, like – Greg, let's say that somebody is, we, we have a lot of listeners that are, <clears throat> let's say, in their first or second tech sales job, and they are still trying to determine what their why is. How would you, does, did it take a serious event like this for you to really see the why, or how would you coach someone to investigate what that why is? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think it's uh, it's taken some time to... Um, you know, um, perhaps a journal on um, yeah. your core convictions, right? I yeah. think uh, getting in the practice of journaling. I know you guys uh, early. I heard you guys talking about you know just having some quiet time or doing doing some meditating. I think that's that's important. I think certainly um, having a conversation with your loved ones, your respected ones, your your mentors, and asking for feedback on you know, what they believe it is. Yeah. But, um, if you spent some time doing, doing that, it, it's not too hard actually. Yeah. That's great advice. Okay. So we're going to ask some rapid fire questions All and right, then we'll rapid wrap up. Fire. The, I'm ready. <laughs> your, your answers don't have to be rapid, uh, but the questions are going to okay. kind of be spontaneous here. We'll go through them. Uh, Brian, we'll just alternate them. I'll start with the first one. What's the biggest weakness you see over and over again with tech sales reps, Greg? Um, not using the telephone. I would say, um, I don't know. But I sent him an email. Right. right. There seems to be an emphasis, emphasis on just using social communications, email communications, texting, which are all great. Um, I'm sure they all have a, um, a place in the continuum of communication, but I call me old. I, there's this great technology. You, talk into it you can hear the other person on the other line you get context and 
inflection in their voice, you'd probably get a lot more information that way, and you can have a dialogue and a conversation. Use the phone. Use the phone. All right, Greg, what's the one attribute that tech sellers use, that the top tech sellers use, that you admire the most? I, you know, I love when a seller can get centered on the customer's pain and speak in their language. It, you know, it, we're not, we, we can't all be industry experts. We can't be tenured seasoned ven- veterans in a particular industry. So just taking the time to get uh, focused and oriented on a particular customer or line of business problem and then being able to at least show you did a lot with a little and show up to a conversation with some context and some effort. That's always compelling to me. Perfect. And and it could be the, could be tied to the phone, but hopefully you have another option here. What is the one thing you wish tech sellers would do less of? Hmm. Less of, uh, that's a good, uh, less of, I don't know. I, I guess I'm back on the phone on that. All right. All right. Oh, an over-reliance on non-phone communication. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There we go. All right. So being in leadership roles at tech, tech companies, uh, Greg, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being extremely difficult, where would you rate the difficulty fi- of finding great tech sellers? What was that scale again? On a scale of yeah, one, one to 10. 10. Yeah. Like how difficult I, is it to find great sales reps? Oh, I, I think it's a seven or eight level difficulty they're out there they're just gainfully employed so it you know it's a matter of uh either connecting with them at the right time or i would say nurturing them over time and that that comes down to you know coffees and face-to-face conversations and just uh having a network and a bench yeah if you're a first-line sales manager that should be a percentage of your job should be coffees and lunches yeah, and I'll add a little bit to that. If you're a new one-year, two-year, three-year rep who's inside sales, first account manager role, your number one desire should be to meet other people at other companies that may want to yeah. find you in the future. You know, we we on this podcast right here, the three of us have all worked for, call it, 12 good to great tech companies. Um, mm-hmm. And we made shifts for probably many different reasons, but we those shifts happened because we were seeking those opportunities out. The, the wasn't our cheese getting moved. We were moving our cheese and and that's key if you're a young seller. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a hopper and go job after job after job, but be be on the lookout for other great leaders that could teach you something great. Yeah. Yeah. And Bobby, I'll add to that. I, I always hesitated to ask, right? I, I ultimately mustered up the courage, but I, you know, reflecting um, I wish I asked more frequently for for one on ones for the advice and counsel of of leaders. And anytime anybody asks me, I never turn them down. Uh, I always say yes. So, well, I I will say you you've you've been a seasoned great leader, and great leaders do that. We want to pass this thing on. We're we're doing a podcast. We're on like our seventieth episode. We're not making any money doing this. It this is about paying it forward for all the people that paid it to us. With that, one more question, two more questions, I guess. One question, share a brief story about the best tech seller you've ever known, and it's your choice if you want to share their name or not or talk about yourself. <laughs> I want to talk about Brian Evans. 
No. Um, (laughs) I'm sure there are a zillion stories that he can share. Um, No, there's an individual who I work with who will remain nameless, who I've always respected his ability to deal with conflict. And I think, as, as you guys know, oftentimes a particular project or initiative or sales cycle or meeting sometimes they don't always go well and you know i'm reflecting on a couple of instances where the project was not going well and this individual just really had a unique ability to um even though the situation was emotionally charged and even though the situation was had a lot of technical complexities um and there were a lot of characters and players on on on, in the conversation on an ongoing basis this tech seller was able to really almost take a um almost you know certainly had a very consultative point of view and and not was very skilled at not um, chasing a particular thread or string or not getting overly emotional about his um, sort of his wants and desires in the particular situation, but being a leader to all parties and uh, shining the light on the solution by one being a great communicator, being a calming force, and being someone who made a really complex technical situation very simple for all parties. And then actually finding shared purpose for everyone um, through his leadership and navigation of the situation and ultimately resolving it satisfactorily for everyone, even though it, it seemed like at a couple times the wheels might fall off. And because he, he uniquely has that skill, um, He's always building trust and he's always being invited back and getting more and more opportunities because he has that skill. So that would be. I'd love to work around that that guy or girl for sure. I'd love to work (laughs) around them for a while. Yeah. Great. So, Greg, um, who's the tech leader that you follow? Like, um, we we often get um, folks that we interview uh they'll share like books they read or leaders that they follow stuff that they yeah, that they're yeah. into yeah. yeah what are you into i i got a couple podcasts for you and then uh i'll share those in a minute i don't know about you guys but i'm i'm really into elon musk right now and not sort of classic tesla but more the spacex stuff that's going on are you guys following that at all oh yeah and Brian did just buy a Tesla, and I did read his autobiography. Um, but the space stuff, he is yeah. so far ahead of what took everybody else 50-plus yeah. years to get yeah. to it. It's absolutely insane. I mean, yes, I, I read that book as well, and the guy is just a genius. And I, I think a lot of people get fixated on his personality and how odd and complex that is. But what SpaceX is doing and how they've innovated – above and beyond NASA and every other commercial enterprise and every other government and, you know, what they did two weeks ago with the space capsule and what do they call that dragon crew or crew dragon? I don't know. I just am blown away with, 
how he's leading <laughs> so many innovation in, in two different industries. It's, it's incredible. So I've been following him. Um, some podcasts. Um, I follow, I, I sort of circle bet- between three different podcasts. Michael Gervais, who's a sports psychologist. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. No. Uh, he, does, he, does a, he does a lot of work, leadership work with Microsoft. He's the sports psychologist with Pete Carroll for the um, Seattle Seahawks. But uh, okay. you can, he's got a great podcast out there called Finding Mastery. A lot of, lot of business leaders out, uh, that he interviews, sports uh, people. Um, I listen to Tim Ferriss. You, I don't know if you guys know Tim. Indeed. I reference him almost right. every show. Yeah, the four-hour work week is why I own a flight school. and um, <laughs> Good. I'm going to do it my way. I yeah. think he's in oh. Austin, too. I think he lives in he Austin. He did. He moved down from San Francisco to Austin. And he's a big influence uh, on both – well, on me for sure, the four-hour work week and uh, kind of deferring my retirement but taking it early in life is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Yeah, and the last guy I'll share is um, – uh, Rich Roll. He's uh, he's an ultra athlete. Um, he um, he's had quite a journey where he was an attorney. Um, he was an alcoholic as an attorney. He got sober, and he quit being an attorney. And he does um, sort of health, wellness, ultra, and his his podcasts. And um, he's he's got some fantastic guests on there. Um, so check out Rich Roll. Yeah, he's a very good interviewer too, um, and he he takes things to extreme. He's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Greg, what uh, what causes are important to you? Anything, and we'll we'll link to this on the uh, the show notes. But any um, any causes yeah. that are important to you, or anything that we should point the listeners to? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a peer mentor for the Christopher and Dana Reeves Foundation. Um, man, who knew how much Chris Reeves contributed to the world of, um, spinal cord injury. He's, he's, he's become a hero of mine and his wife is a hero too. They're, they're both amazing in terms of what they did. So, um, you know, I'm doing some mentoring for them and, uh, you know, I, I've been working with some really broken people literally and who are just working to recover from spinal cord injury. So I just have a lot of respect for them and, and my hat goes off to the Christopher and Dana Reeves foundation. Perfect. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes and uh, hopefully our listeners will show their love to that organization as well. Um, I guess as we close this one, and I, I think I do want to have a mini episode with you after your swim in about five days from this published a mini episode? podcast. All right. Some mini episode. I want to hear how it went. I want to hear what you were thinking at mile 1.3 miles, freezing to death, and <laughs> just cold. a short amount to go. I'm cold. I hope there are um, no sharks. That's what you know, anybody, anybody listening that doesn't think they can run a mile, if you can swim more than that, I think they should get themselves out and do something. We talk about health yeah, and get exercise out quite a bit. But in, in, in our closing here, any advice that you have, any parting advice you have for the tech sales listeners that are out there today? Um, you know, I, I think authenticity is huge, right? And uh, continuous improvement, self-awareness, all those things. I, I, obviously, you guys are driving that sort of mindset through your podcast. But um, 
just wanting to get better through continuous improvement, being authentic and self-awareness. I think that'll serve you well. Uh, and, and tuning into these guys is, is a great start. Well, I got to say, if you're listening today, wherever you're at, um, no matter when it is, you got to hear a truly non-average tech seller today. Greg, I, I want to say thanks, and uh, I really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you, guys. It was so great to um, connect with you guys and hear your voices, and uh, excited to stay in touch and uh, see how your podcast continues to grow. Wish you yeah. all the luck. Thanks so much, Greg. Really appreciate it. Average sucks, people. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.